We sing about it, and that's really what it's really all about. Sometimes we think it ought to be about me and my situations and my problems and my victories and my strengths or whatever it is, but really there's a point comes in time that we need to make it where it's not about myself or even my things or my family or my people, but somehow it becomes bigger than us and it becomes all about him. And the beautiful thing about having that kind of an attitude I discovered a long time ago that while we minister to others, God himself ministers to us. So it's not like we're taking anything away from ourselves when we make it about him. Because he has the answer, the solution, knows the need, knows how to meet the need, much better even than we ourselves know how. So making it all about him is actually a very, very beautiful thing to do. It's kind of like I've often taught about uh, marriage. That if you have a husband or a wife who's 100% sold out to God and God is first in their life, makes, well, that, I should be first in their life. No, if you've got a husband or a wife that puts God first in their life, you're in the most secure position that a companion could possibly be in. Because if a person's really sold out to God, they're going to treat their spouse appropriately and godly. And uh, it's going to, everything positive is going to happen to you. So when we make it all about him, nobody loses except the devil. Uh, because everybody else is going to be a winner. Uh, we, have, we have had several weeks past since I have taught you on a Sunday morning. And I know we had... Uh, my last service here was Pastor Appreciation Day, and, and I commend all those that were involved in that, and a beautiful service, and so commendable, and I'm very thankful for the honor and the blessings that you bestowed upon uh, Pastor Grogan and his family, and thankful for all those special guests that made it a day to come and be here. Uh, I'm grateful for that. Uh, but we've had a number of lessons that we've missed that uh, I have a, it just kind of, it's not a prescribed where you have to use it. It's just something that if you choose to, you can. But we've had lessons that if we had been here and, and I'd have chosen to use the prescribed uh, lesson, uh, we've, it's been all about leadership. And uh, we, we talked about on September the 22nd, about the heart of a leader. And uh, I did, I was able to teach that particular lesson. Uh, but then there's a, the ensuing lessons after that, the heart of a leader, and then uh, leadership and submission is one that we've skipped over. And some of these, sometimes I will go back and pick these up. Uh, leadership and respect was another lesson that's just, we passed over. Leadership and peacemaking. Uh, was another lesson that we've missed in the last few weeks. Leadership and grace and grace is another one. So we've had a number of these lessons that uh, partially me being gone and other activities and guest speakers and all that. Leadership and God's blessings, uh, tremendous thought and lesson. Leadership and God's voice. And then we get to today's lesson, which I've chosen just to go ahead and... Uh, speak on the lesson that is uh, set up for this particular date is leadership and unselfish servanthood. Leadership and unselfish servanthood. And it takes the, the lesson setting comes from the life of David. David, uh, the little shepherd boy that was anointed to be king and then spent a number of years not being honored as king but still had to go after he had that great day where he was anointed to be the next king of Israel. What did he do? He went back to being a shepherd boy and uh, waited. It wasn't like suddenly all of a sudden he was moved to the palace and started living a grander style of living and, and pomp and pleasure. But he went right back to being a servant, right back to being a, a sheep herder and taking care of his father's sheep. 
And then uh, as he got closer, God did have a plan and brought him to the palace to play the harp for uh, King Saul. And then jealousy erupted and Saul decided to kill him. And of course, God had his hand on David and Saul couldn't kill him. David, but David fled and ran. And uh, there's all kinds of things we learn from that. Uh, and then finally, David uh, killed the giant. And the daughters of Jerusalem hailed him as a hero. And uh, he was everybody's hero. And the Bible said Saul put thousands to flight, but David put ten thousands to flight. So his accomplishments were great. But he still was not promoted into the kingship. And then uh, finally Saul's demise came and David was elevated to king. And his situation didn't stop there. He didn't, suddenly didn't just all the rest of his life have it made. But he had situations and needs and problems. In fact, in our lesson today is in the uh, middle to latter part of his leadership in his lifetime uh, comes up some very particular problems that he came. But there's some things that we need to understand about leadership and about people in leadership. Uh, we look at the Bible and we often see the characters of the Bible. Many of them, uh, we call them heroes of faith. And we see highlights from their life where they killed a giant or conquered, conquered armies or or led the nation of Israel back to God, and they did heroic things. But in actuality, all leaders are made out of humanity. And they have all the, the potential for problems, hurts, and pains, and so on that anybody else has. Uh, somebody I heard said just today, somebody was advocating, talking about uh, race, and, uh, you know, the perfect situation is where we get to the place that we don't see the color of someone's skin. And somebody said, my mother always said that on the inside we all look just alike. And because we're all made in the image of God, and if we bleed, we all bleed red. Uh, and our thinking should be that way. But we look at, we look at people in the Bible and sometimes we think, uh, they were perfect, or they had it all put together, and what a great hero they were. But in actuality, uh, if we had a day-by-day, point-by-point uh, repertoire or, or advertisement of our day-by-day -day diary of, of a person's life, we all face problems. Jesus Christ in the flesh... The Bible said he was tempted in every manner like as we are, yet without sin. We can say we've been tempted, but none of us can say without sin. Uh, we're, we're frail. Uh, we're subject to error. Uh, and we're subject to hurt and to pain. And sometimes the pastor comes to the pulpit and a smile on his face and it's rah, rah, rah. And we shout about the word of God. And uh, sometimes... In the midst of all of that, deep down inside, there's a hurt, there's a pain, there's a struggle that's going on that you may never know about. And it behooves all of us, that being said, to daily pray for leadership. Pray for those that are in your life and those that you know that God will sustain them and help them and, and strengthen them because they need it. Their family needs it. And uh, there's been many, many times where someone has been hurt and been hurt uh, sometimes beyond repair. Uh, and sometimes there's failure, there's flaws. Uh, and sometimes we look at some folks and they're larger than life. Uh, if I was as good as some people think I am, uh, I could just sprout wings. You know, I've had kids come to church and their new ones come into church and, and uh, they thought I was Jesus. Uh, and we laugh about it. Uh, they'd say something to their mother about Jesus. Uh, they thought I was Jesus. I've had others come to church that thought I was the devil. So, uh, you know, somewhere, I hope somewhere in between we find a place, but 
all of us have a little Jesus in us and all of us have a little devil in us. Uh, and because the Bible says that we are, you know, we're both, as Jesus Christ was, both human and divine. Uh, uh, he had, he had a, a physical or a natural nature, a carnal nature, and also a divine and a spiritual nature. Some people don't understand uh, how that Jesus is God uh, because Jesus as God fed the multitudes, yet as man he became hungry. As, as God, uh, he spoke to the winds and the waves and told them to be still and they listened, but as man he got tired as in the bottom of the ship sleeping. Uh, and sometimes we look at leaderships and we desire to emulate them. We want to be like them. And it's always good to have uh, heroes of faith and people of character that we say, well, uh, I want to be like them. And sometimes we say, when I grow up, I want to be like that person. Uh, I want to develop more of their godly, their character, and so on. And all that's good. We need that. But they face difficult situations in life just like we do. And sometimes we see them maybe weekly or every once in a while, and we think, wow, you know, what a, what a great Christian, what a great man of God or woman of God they are. But if you knew in the dark secrets of their own life, they struggle just like you do. They have weak times. They need strength. They need prayer. And yes, they have to repent just like you and I do. Uh, because it's all in their nature. David was a man that we look at him and, and, you know, wow, David killed the lion and the bear. And then David killed the giant. And then David was anointed king of Israel. And, man, it looks like a lot of positive things going on. But I've always identified with David because David, uh, though he was known as a man after God's own heart, it wasn't because he walked in perfection. David had his moments of, of failure, his moments of stumbling, his moments of indiscretion. And because of that, it brought on what we all have to understand is the law of God and the law of nature that you reap what you sow. David, with all of the things that he did well, there were some times of indiscretion that he miserably failed. He failed one time in getting lifted up in pride and God had told him not to number the soldiers and number the people of Israel. But David was thinking, well, I'm the, I'm the head. I'm the chief of the greatest army in the world. And so David had the men of war count all the chariots, count all the foot soldiers, count all the uh, leaders of battalions, and the list goes on and on, and number them all, because David was lifting himself up in pride rather than realize that God had given everything they had, and God was not pleased. And because of David's pride and arrogance, he was judged by God. Another time David miserably failed, uh, and he stayed home from battle. He lusted after his neighbor's wife, committed sin with her, she conceived a child, then he had to cover that, he thought he had to cover up that sin, although you don't cover up from God. But he thought he had to cover that up, and in doing so, he ended up having uh, his, let me just say his affair, he had her husband killed on the battlefield, trying to cover up his own transgression, and miserably, miserably failed. But when he was confronted, the beautiful part of David's life is when David was confronted with his failures, he repented. The difference in he and even his predecessor Saul was when Saul failed, and we would probably judge David's failure by our standards, we would probably say David's failures were greater than Saul's because Saul's was more rebellion and arrogance and uh, just disobedience to the things of God. And sometimes we kind of fudge a little bit in our disobedience or, or our stubbornness and unwillingness to really submit to God. And, and 
we don't measure that in the same measure as David went out and committed adultery and David uh, had somebody murdered and, and you know, oh, David sins. But the, the difference is, and I don't know how God measures sins, but sometimes we think there's little sins and big sins, but sin separates us from God. And Saul's rebellion and disobedience to the command of God uh, he was confronted by a man of God. And that's one of the beautiful things that God does is he gives us wherever we're at, he gives us space to repent. And Saul was given his space to repent and rather than humbling himself before God, he said, well, I know I did wrong, but... And that gets a lot of folks in trouble. Well, I know I'm not living right or I know I did wrong or I know I shouldn't do this, but... And then we want to justify where we're at. And because of that, we stay in our failing position. Saul said, yeah, I know I did wrong, but yet honor me now before the people. What we were singing about a while ago and what my first comments were about it's all about him. Saul, it was all about Saul. I know I did wrong, but we're fixing to go out in front of the people. And we don't want them to know that there's any problems. And so you and I, you know, pastor and, and the king, uh, we're going to go out there and we're going to, you know, slap each other on the back and present ourselves as all is well. And God didn't like his attitude and his pride. And he told the man of God, he said, you tell him that I've rejected him. And not only have I rejected him, but as so sad it is, it affected not just him, but his children, his grandchildren, his lineage, all following after him. All were affected by his sin, his rebellion. But likewise, let's move on to David, the next king. David did all those things I talked about a while ago. But when the man of God came to David and said, Thou art the man, the Bible says David fell on his face. He didn't say they did it. This is my excuse. This is why I did it. He said, I have sinned. And I have disgraced my throne. I've disgraced my family. I've disgraced my God. He fell on his face and the man of God said, you've got four choices. You can have the people of these great armies that you thought was so great and you're the greatest army in the world. They're going to fall by the edge of the sword. In other words, they're going to die in battle. Not by one or two, but by tens of thousands, even hundreds of thousands are going to die on the battlefield. Or another choice is, and he gave David several choices, none of which were good. And David simply, and this is a beautiful uh, illustration to us and our approach to God. Rather than David saying, well, out of these four, I choose this one. David simply said, I want to just fall into the hands of a merciful God. I don't want to choose my poison. I don't want to choose my demise. I don't want to choose uh, what is going to, I'm going to, the failure that I'm going to give an account for. I just simply want to say, God, I'm sorry. And I'm going to leave it up to you and I will accept whatever comes my way. Well, you know, David's sin was a great sin. And even though David was the choice, God's choice at that time, and even today, David is known as a man after God's own heart. But in spite of all of that, David had sinned. And sin has consequences. The little cliche that I quote every once in a while when it's appropriate is some people sow wild oats six days a week and then they come to church on Sunday and pray for a crop failure. But that's not how it works. You don't, you don't live like the devil six days a week and then because you come to church on Sunday it makes everything okay. Those seeds that we're putting in the ground on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday those seeds are going to reproduce not according to your Sunday experience, but according to your Monday experience, your Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday experience. In other words, the seed you put into the ground, that's the crop 
That's what's going to yield from your plantings. That's what's going to come forth from the ground. And you can't just suddenly decide, well, I don't want to have all those. Uh, I've said it this way, and it's kind of an extreme example. But if, if you leave the house of God and you go out and get drunk, and you go out here on a 30-mile-an-hour curve that's on a cliff, and you try to take it at 90 miles an hour, and you go off the cliff, and you bang around down the canyon, and finally uh, you're rescued and you're brought, and fortunately your life was not completely taken. But in the process of time, you get a, a damage, and you have an arm severed off of your body. And then you come back after you're mending a little bit, and you come back to, to church, and you repent, and you say, God, I'm sorry for my sins. Uh, I'm sorry for what I did. And what does God do? He forgives you. But now when you worship God, it's going to be like this. Because there's consequences to your choices. So when you repent of your sins, even though God forgives you your sins, you've planted some seed. And there's repercussions come from it. Uh, I just recently found out about someone, it's a relative of mine, uh, that has a son. In fact, I'll just say it so you kind of understand me a little bit better. Uh, It was my sister's son. And he had, uh, recently I rejoiced because he moved from where he lived from one state. He moved all the way to another state. And and, uh, uh, he was doing well. And I heard good reports about him getting involved in various church ministries. And it seemed like he was really doing good. And... uh, I was with my sisters this last week in Branson, Missouri, and, and I, I said something to, to my sister. I said, uh, and where is, and I called her son by name, where is his dad? And she kind of said, he's in jail. And I thought, oh, I wasn't expecting that, you know, because I've been hearing good things about him. Well, then what happened is back in his months ago in his other, the other state that he was in, uh, there was some, it was a drunk driving uh, ticket, and there was consequences for that. And now the sentence has been paid, need to be paid. And though he's doing well, and he's in another state, and he's going to church, and he's involved in ministries, and all of that, now he suddenly sucked from there all the way back to pay for the seeds that he sowed. So understanding, even though he's repented and even though he's trying to get his life together and even though he's being sober and all of that, there's still seeds that were sown that he has to go back and take care of. And understanding that the law of sowing and reaping, that's the way it works. Despite all of David's successes, David also had failures. Uh, He found himself in a very dark place. And then I'm getting to the point in our lesson today that David had some paying to do. Now he's king of all of Israel. Now Saul's out of the picture. Now the giant's dead. David's a king. David's repented. David's walking with God. David's trying to lead the people. David built the temple. All the good things that David's done. But remember David's son that was born From that illicit relationship was born and the child became sick. And David wept and David cried. David begged God for the life of his son. But David lost his baby boy. Even to the point that he just became so depressed. This is the king. This is one that's got money flows everywhere. He's the one that he's been a warrior. He's been a hero. He's done it all. But now he's weeping and in deep, deep, deep depression, if you can imagine, losing a child. And it took a while before he finally came out of that. Uh, David was paying. Then he had another son that raped his own half-sister. And David didn't deal with it properly and it caused hatred in the family and dysfunction in the family and finally another son Absalom uh, he hated his brother that had done this to his sister 
and he took it upon himself and he had another one of David's sons is killed because of his sin. If you, if you can kind of follow me, you see here the seeds that David sowed, how it's kind of coming back. Now he lost one son. Now he's lost another son. And then the real tragedy and the real point of our lesson today, there's a point that Absalom, David's gorgeous, tall, handsome, smart, intelligent, all the good things you could say about a young man is growing up and David's thinking, well, this is going to be my son that is going to be able to take over when I'm done. And he's grooming him to be king and all these things. But then Absalom began to desire the kingship, but he wanted it now. He didn't want it when David passed. And, and he, began to, uh, he began to connive and kind of subtly undermine David's authority and David's uh, kingship to the point that it divided Israel. And David once again finds himself, even though he's the king, he finds himself hiding. He finds himself running. He finds his, his kingdom divided. He finds some, some are loyal to him or some are loyal to his son. And it's a sad story that doesn't end well. David, of course, was God's child. And David was the one that even though David uh, is paying for some of his wrongdoings, uh, God still loved David. David was still chosen to be the man of God. And in all of this, then one of uh, David's generals catches Absalom, who was the one, the troubled one, that was trying to take over, that was splitting his kingdom. He catches him in a moment of uh, running. Somehow his hair, he got caught in a tree and hung there and long enough that Joab was coming behind him and he thrust him through with the spear and destroyed him, killed him. And he died on the battlefield. And again, David's heart is crushed. But now remember, we're talking about someone. David was a man after God's own heart. David was a man that repented when he did wrong and God forgave him. But oh, the consequences, the rewards of seed sown awry, sown in failure. David had some very troubling times in his life. But one of the things that happened during this time, there was a man that uh, I'm not going to try to, I thought I, I tried to pronounce it several times in, in uh, my studying of this lesson today. Uh, I, I thought, well, you know what, just for the sake of the story, I'm just going to call him Brazil. Because his, was, his name was like Brazil Hein Heli or something like that. So we'll just shorten it up and call him Brazil. Brazil was, uh, uh, the Bible said, was four score, which means he's 80 plus years old. And sometimes we think about uh, someone like this. They think, well, you know, what can I do? You know, I'm well up in years and, and I'm not a young warrior that can go out and battle and slay the uh, Philistines and so I'm just I'm here and in, in a uh, place that uh, what can I do but the Bible talks about uh, Brazil was a friend to David and he provided he was an aged man four score years old means he was 80 and he provided the king of substance when he lay when he was in hiding when he was vulnerable and when he and his entourage with him were hungry, uh, the Bible lists a long array of things that he gave to him. This man was a man that had the ability to do so. And he couldn't go to the battle and be David's armor bearer and fight alongside of David. But he found a place where he was, uh, he was uh, able to be a tremendous blessing and did what he could do. The beautiful thing about what God expects out of us is He doesn't expect us to do what somebody else can do. He doesn't expect us to uh, be what they should be. We are not compared one with the other. 
Your talents differ from that of your brother and your sister and your neighbors and those across the aisles from you. Uh, not everybody has the same ability. Not everybody has, has the same talent. God doesn't expect from all of you the same. The Bible says to whom much is given, much is required. If you have been given more talent, then God expects a greater portion from you. One of the beautiful things that I wish our government would learn is uh, I hear this about rich people. In, in, in the political uh, system of our world today, there's a lot of talking about, well, you know, there's a lot of people at the top have so much control of so much of the money and all of that. And, and uh, some people's ideas we're going to take from the rich and give to the poor and, and uh, uh, forget about and then there's about taxation that, you know, they need to be paying their fair share. Well, without getting too deep into politics, the largest majority, about 90% of all the tax money that come, revenues that come into our government come from that top tier because they have mega wealth and someone, someone that is a, a billionaire pays millions of dollars in taxes. And so much of it's coming from there. But we hear a lot of this talk about paying their fair share. Well, what is their fair share? Well, you know, as far as God is concerned and the principles we learn from Scripture is I don't care whether you're a millionaire or you're on welfare. God expects you to give in His ways taught it in the Scripture, ways taught it and exampled it before us, to give tithe. Well, what is your fair share? If you get $100 and you pay $10 in tithes, that's your fair share. If someone else gets a million and their fair share is 100000 Now, who gave the most? Well, as far as God's plan is concerned, they gave the same. That's the reason why we can't match what somebody that has millions can do, but God doesn't expect that of you. God expects of you to do what you can do and out of what he has entrusted into your hands. The parable of the talents. One was given one, one was given two, one was given five. What did God expect of him? The five, he doubled the investment that has been given to him. And returned now five was turned into ten. The one that had two doubled his talent. And so he, two turned into four and both of them received the the pat on the back and the acclamation of well done, thou good and faithful servant. The third one was given one talent. What did he do? The Bible says he knew that he had to be careful of this money. So he took it and he rolled it in a napkin. He buried it into the sand. And when the master came back and inquired as to what have you done with what I gave you? Oh, I, I knew that I had to be careful with it. And I dug it back out of the sand. Here's what you gave to me. And what did the Bible say? The master was angry. He said, I could have given it to the bank and at least got a little bit of interest. But I've given it to you and you buried it in the sand? Now, here's something that, that to me has always been an outstanding contradiction to the PC, which is political correctness of our world today. The master said, take from the man that has one talent. Take that away from him. What are you going to do with it? Take it and give it to the man that now has ten talents. Now our government wants to take the ten talents man's all of his money and give it to the man that's going to bury it in the sand and do absolutely nothing with it. God said, take from him the lazy and give to the laborer. Life is a, a series of uh, rewards for services. If you work hard, somebody said it this way, the harder I work, the luckier I get. Some people think, well, you know, I'm here and, you know, uh, uh, the world needs to just give me, give me, give me, give me. Well, why don't you get up off your behind and go out and start working? And at the end of the week or so, there is a, a treasure that's granted to you. There is a reward that's coming your way because of hard work. And if we just expect everybody to give me, give me, give me to me, it's back about the opening part of the, uh, the lesson today. It's all about him. But when it's all about me and you're supposed to take care of me and I'm jealous because the doctor's got a, uh, he's got a 
Mercedes sitting in the driveway, got a beautiful home, wears fancy, beautiful clothes, and hey, life is just not fair. Well, my wife reminded me yesterday, uh, I had a vet came to my house, and uh, he did my annual rabies shots, updated all my rabies shots and all that, and I was kind of angry, or not angry is not the best word, but kind of kind of grated on me a little bit that I had a little dog that has puppies and she had a little mastitis and I'd already seen it and I knew what it was and I basically just wanted to know what should I do for it uh, but when he gave her the rabies shot I kind of showed him the little kind of clumps on her mammary glands and it had softened quite a bit from what I'd seen even the day before and uh, he said yeah I said well what should you do for it? he said well it looks like it's already softening. Just the puppy's nursing is going to probably take care of it. Uh, we went on our way, and that's about how long we spent on it. But when, I, when he gave me the invoice, he charged me $70 for that. I'm thinking, oh, my word, you know, for 15 seconds, we stood there, and he's going to charge me 70 bucks for it on top of a $300 travel charge and all the other things, is, you know, and plus the shot that we gave, uh, a bunch of dogs getting their shots and all that. And I'm griping about it a little bit. My wife said, well, he probably went to college about four to six years longer than you did. Got me. I'm telling you, life is about work and labor and results. And sometimes, you know, we can complain about someone that has more than we have, but while we're out thinking as an 18-year-old kid, I'm going to get my first job and I'm pumping gas. They used to back where I, when I grew up. They pumped gas for you. They don't do it much anymore. But I got a little minimum wage job and, and boy, I'm going to go on. And somebody else is going to school and going to school and going to school and going to school. And fast forward 10 years later out of high school and I have a nephew that I just learned, uh, Matt Compton. Uh, he's, his job is playing out where he's at in Texas and he's probably, the plan is to move, he's moving to Iowa, but he, he went for his, his uh, uh, high school years and then he went four years of college and then he went to Loma Linda and had some more years of college and he served an internship somewhere else and he spent most of his life and he's probably in his 30s, seemed like in school, but he's going from one job now to another and uh, when his mother said how much the contract was, it's getting like $370,000 a year. And he only has to work, what was it? What? 17 weeks out of the year. It's like he, he works one week and is off three weeks. Works one week and is off three weeks. And $370,000. That's not right. I've never made that kind of money. <laughs> but he's 30 years old and has spent, spent almost his first 30 years going to college and going to internship and serving under another. And now he's at a place that he had offers from various places to go. And it, it seems crazy, but uh, in a sense, when you stop to think about it, when someone else is out there partying at 18, 20, 25 years old and someone else is diligently in the books and they're studying and they're learning and, and they're getting degrees and they're getting uh, 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 approvals and getting uh, the various certifications and so on, certifications that they need. Uh, and now all of a sudden they're doing well and are we going to fold our arms and say life is not fair? Are we going to realize life is about our labor and our reward? And David had paid severely for some of the things that he did wrong. But at the same time, he found himself in a place of leadership. And along comes this man that we call Brazil. And he sees David in need. And he provides because he had the provisions. And even though he's well into his 80s, way up in years... He's older than David was, but yet he is supplying and supporting 
and being a faithful servant to the man that God had put there. Despite all of David's treacheries, David was not without blame. And he had all of these things that his choices had brought these negative events into his family. But at the same time, because David walked in repentance and David humbled himself in the presence of God, David accepted the consequences of his choices. And even today, David is an example of one who is a man after God's own heart. But even with all of that, we look at the whole picture today. We see the greatness of David, the kill, the lion, the bear, the giant, anointed king over, and even though his brothers were bigger and handsome, more handsome and taller and stronger than he, David was the one chosen that killed the giant. David is the one that was anointed to be the king over Israel. And we see all that, but we are, we're able today to see that not only did he have those highs in life, he had times where he desperately needed a friend. He desperately needed someone to care. And as I mentioned, he grieved over his son when his son was killed. He grieved over him. He didn't want to eat. Uh, He didn't take care of himself uh, hygienically. He just, the Bible gives us the details of he just kind of became just ready to kind of roll up and die until finally someone comes along and had to shake him as it were. And say, you know, you've got, you've got all these men that have risked their lives for you to save your, your hide and your kingdom. To save your kingship. And now that it's saved because you had a rebellious son that died and you're over here moping and refusing to be a king and refusing to lead your people. And somebody had to be an encourager to him. And remind him of the circumstances he was in. And Brazil came along and became that. Uh, why does family betrayal seem to hurt so much worse than other types of betrayal? Most of us probably can think of a time in our life when, uh, you know, someone did us wrong. We think, oh, I don't need them anyway. But if you've had a son or a daughter or a brother or a sister or a parent or a child, that suddenly do something that dishonored and disrespected you. And, and uh, that, that hurts so much, so much worse. You know, a lot of times, you know, people do you wrong and people are not grateful for what you've done for them. But, okay, fine. We can just kind of say, I'll just nip that off. I don't need that anyway. I can concentrate on my family and my loved ones and people that do care and and I've said this to my wife many, many times about different circumstances in life. If I find out that somebody don't want me in their life and uh, they don't respect me as who I, who I am, and uh, fine, you know, I've got other things to do and other places to be. And I've got people that do care and that do love and that do share. So I'll just find a place and you move on. But when it's family... You can move on for the moment, but still there's the tie. There still is there, there's that, that tug. Still, still there is that part of you that, that says, I wish we could be a complete family. I wish we could resolve our differences. And, and I've thought of situation even recently about some, some things that I was aware of, of someone that there's a little spat, a little fuss, and then all of a sudden uh, cousins don't get to see each other, and mom and and son or mom and grandkids or or grandkids and their cousins and all that, suddenly there's a division in the family. And it's very painful. You know, some people you can just turn and walk away from. But when it's family, it don't matter what they did or didn't do. There needs to be a resolution. There needs to be a, a reconvening of family. And it hurts so much. Why does it hurt so much more? Because the people that are the closest to you are the ones that can really hurt you the most. It's very difficult. David found that his own son rebelled against him. 
rose up against him, caused many people to be killed because of him. In his own pride, uh, Absalom plotted to kill his own father because he didn't want to wait for the kingship. He didn't want to wait. Uh, and so he pulled best he could, as many as he could, to his side of the coin. And he persuaded them and created an army and split the army where a lot of them were on his side. And then they warred brothers against brothers, fighting and dying because of this arrogance and pride. And David, David was, let me die, was his attitude, not my son. Let me die. Not all these people of Israel said, just let it be on me. And in essence, David could almost say, I caused this problem. I caused this dysfunction by my attitude and my ways. Let it just be on me. I remember a number of years ago, uh, my wife will remember this well, but Dr. Jeffers was here and he was counseling with Sister Abba and I about some hurt that we was going through. And, and uh, my wife said, but I just don't want this to be the results. And I just don't want this to ever happen. And Brother Jeffers said to her, and I'm not going into the details, but he said to her, unfortunately, many times, that's exactly what does happen. I don't want my family to be hurt. I don't want my kids to be hurt. I don't want my grandbabies to be involved and, and crushed in all of this. And unfortunately, when parents make decisions, sometimes it's not just their lives that are affected, but it's their children, it's their offspring, it's their neighborhood, it's their surroundings. It affects a much bigger picture than just our own little situation. David fled then after he was even king because of his son. He didn't want to just get his armies and say, well, go wipe him up off the face, he said, he, he gave even the command to his men. He said, well, we're going to war. He said, but whatever you do, don't harm my son Absalom. His son that was in rebellion, his son that was wishing him dead and all that, he said, I don't want harm to come to him. And when harm came to Absalom and he was killed, David's heart was crushed. David had no choice but to flee the capital city of Jerusalem, the place that he had won the battle and where he was uh, reliving and living his days. Uh, he ended up back on the run. He hid in the wilderness just to escape the wrath. And not only of himself, but also now the wrath of his father-in-law, family. Bathsheba's father, was now joining the ranks of Absalom and giving counsel and wisdom. He had previously been David's counselor. Now he's giving counsel to the enemy and telling him how to get to David. All of this David uh, had to suffer. Uh, and to add insult to injury, there was a man named Shimei, they begin to cry out publicly against David and throw rocks at him. I mean, it's kind of like I saw some video clips of recently somewhere, I believe it was New York, but somewhere there was people, the police were trying to, <coughs> excuse me, were arresting somebody and there were people coming and dumping water on the police and doing some crazy things. And one of the things that I, I thought, how sad. It was a little fellow about this tall. And I forget whether what he had, it was a water or whatever. He goes up to the policeman and he's throwing that on the, and I thought, what are his parents and people teaching? And then they're going to wonder why their kids are going to spend a lifetime behind bars because they're developing that kind of character and that kind of disrespect. And because of that, it, it, it's, it's sad and it's a shame that something like that can go on. But David was grieved and hurt. And this Shimei comes out and he's shouting at David, throwing stones at him and cursing him. One of David's men says, let me go. I'll take care of that right now. And they weren't talking about going, going over and playing bloody noses. He was talking about, he'll go over there, I'll, I'll, 
I'll stop that permanently. Do you know what I mean? David said, no, leave him alone. God may have orchestrated him to do that. David realized, I'm paying for some of the choices of my past. He said, just let him be. And, you know, of course, then God took care of that situation at a later point. But David said, I'm not going to go take vengeance on him because God may have orchestrated that as part of my judgment day for what I have done. But David needed, again, he needed someone to encourage him, someone to love him. He said, let him alone. Let him curse. For the Lord hath bidden him. It may be that the Lord will look on my affliction and that the Lord will requite me good for the cursing this day. In other words, David's saying, maybe this will take care of some of the pain that I caused. David's saying, let him go ahead and curse and maybe it will requite me. In other words, part of my debt will be paid by receiving this cursings and these rock throwings and so on. So don't bother him. These verses reveal that David had hope even in the midst of his deep, deep afflictions. David had hope. His friends came to his rescue. They provided support that he desperately needed. The point, I think, of our our lesson today is understanding that even in leadership, there's times where there are struggles. David must have felt like his life was completely regressed at one point. Not just personally, but on a national scale. Personally, David had lost his throne even though he was still king. He was not content there, and he needed reassurance. And I think it's uh, noteworthy for all of us to understand that there are times that in leadership that what you do and how you do it can be a great blessing. I've had both sides. I thought just recently, a couple weeks ago, when we were honoring Pastor Grogan, and I know, because I, I always hear it from a few people that are a little bit concerned about not wanting me to be left out. And my attitude is, I've had enough accolades, I've had enough blessings, financially, physically, mentally, every way I can get it to last for the rest of my life. I'm not looking for it. I was very, very, very contented for the praise and the accolades and the blessings and the well wishes and, and the honoring and all that to go to Pastor Grogan. I say that sincerely. I feel like that my wife and I have been so incredibly blessed through 48 years and a couple months of being the papa, the shepherd. And even like many times as far as bishop is concerned, uh, what's my position? Well, you know, probably I'm as happy with papa as I am with any, any other fancy title that you could give to me uh, because uh, I, I appreciate the love and, and the care and the... Uh, blessings that people bestow but through my lifetime I've been blessed with both I've bl blessed with some that were like Shemai they wanted to throw stones and I've blessed with the other ones where they throw through gold coins uh, so I I've had it all I've had I've had people say well I'm not going to pay my tithes and buy Pastor Abbott a new boat well you know you know where those people are at today they can't even afford to pay attention much less buy a boat because they had a wrong attitude in life where it's about them gloating over who they were. And I've had other ones that, that I want to bless the man of God and I want to do this for the man of God and, and God blesses them with more and I want to bless the man of God and God gives them more and I want to bless the man of God. I want to bless leadership. I want to support the man of God. I'm going to support the church. I'm going to support the kingdom of God. And what they have, somebody said, the reason why I pay tithes is because uh, God can do a whole lot more with 90% with the blessings of God than I could do with 100% of all I have without the blessings of God. So I choose to get the blessings of God in my life. 
And, but people that have the attitude, I'm going to bless the man of God. I'm going to support the man of God. I'm going to be an encourager to the man of God. I'm going to be a strength and add strength to the man of God. Not the little yang, 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 yang. I don't think you should do this. And I don't think they should do that. And, I don't, and, you know, we've talked about wife and I in the last few days about people that would say, well, you know, I think that I've had preachers come through ministering in our church and and after you know a few services pick up on some spirits around the church and said well you know that particular man he thinks he could pastor this church better than you can this is many many years ago and that that that's the spirit that some people have but somebody else says pastor what can i do to help you what can i do to elevate you what can i do to strengthen your position what can i do to make your life a little easier what can i do whether it's financial or physical or or just with a praise or with a hallelujah with prayer how can i assist and how can i be a blessing the unselfish servitude is a lesson that we can learn and what a blessing that we can be. Brazil, David experienced one of the most difficult times of his life when Absalom usurped power and ultimately died. David discovered that he had loyal friends, but they also had enemies that held grudges. While he could rely on Abishai and Hushai and the priest Amathor and Zodok, as well as their sons, he found himself being cursed by Shimei and betrayed by Athophel, who was his father-in-law. Even though Joab won the battle to restore the kingdom, David was perplexed because his seemingly loyal general had killed David's own son, Absalom. The lame son of Jonathan, whom David had given a piece place at his table, fell under David's suspicion. Brazil came and when David had to flee over the river of Jordan, kind of reminiscent of the times that he had ran from Saul. Now he's running from Absalom. He came to his aid. He was a supporter, an older man. But he was there at a time of need. Sometimes supporting our leaders may cause us some personal risk. Next time somebody starts yan, yan, yan about the church or about the pastor, if you say, hold on, hold on just a second. That's my pastor. I love my pastor. I don't want to hear that. Oh, well, they may, they may, uh, it's not my place. Yeah, it's your place to protect what you hear. You don't have to rebuke them. You don't have to say, I rebuke you in Jesus' name. It's kind of like a, a funny story, and I'm closing, but a funny story about a evangelist came by, and they had this guy that, you know, he wasn't playing with a full deck. He always sat on the front row. If you know what I mean, he's, let's say, a couple, shy, couple fries short of a Happy Meal. Uh, in other words, he was simple in the, the preacher was preaching, and this guy's still in the front row just cracking up and laughing and laughing, and it was just getting this evangelist, just getting on his nerves and getting on his nerves, and he'd say something else that, what are you laughing about that for? And this guy's just laughing. He finally went over to him and said, I rebuke you, you laughing devil. And he said, I rebuke you too. <laughs> now, what I said about that sometimes... Uh, I don't know why I said that. It just came to my mind. <laughs> it's just simply, simply what, I, what I'm saying today is that we can be a blessing. We can be a strength. We can be a help uh, to one another. And uh, sometimes when situations come our way, uh, supporting our leaders sometimes puts us at personal risk. Sometimes taking a stand, you may think, well, I may lose a friend. And I've seen, I've seen times in the past where there was someone just yang, 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 about leadership. You say, well, I'm loyal. It's not going to affect me. Not going to. Yes, it will affect you. 
if you keep hearing it and hearing it and hearing it and hearing it, and there's been times that godly people had to say, you know what? If you're going to talk that way, I can't be around you. I can't be your friend. Or I'll be your friend, but it's going to have to be at a distance because I don't want to hear that. I don't want you knocking down my church. I don't want you talking about the leadership of the family of God. And sometimes you have to take a stand. And sometimes supporting leaders, it causes you personal risk. We may be tempted to avoid conflict, say, well, well, it's not my place to say anything. Well, then whose place is it? If they're filling your ears full of garbage and you don't say anything, you not only are being contaminated, you're allowing other people innocent around you to also be contaminated. And you know what I found a long time ago? That if you take a stand, you don't have to be ugly about it, just simply say, that's my friend. That's my pastor. I really don't want to hear it. It's kind of like someone saying, well, did you hear what Susie did? And someone says, you know what, Susie's my cousin. And sometimes what happens when you stop someone who is not saying the right things, you not only may protect your ears, but you may give them pause to realize, you know what? I shouldn't be talking that way. I should change my attitude. And you may help them to be a better person because you stopped them. Sometimes... You have to count the risk and realize I may lose a friend over this, but I'm going to stand for what's right. I'm going to stand for what God has called. And we can teach the next generation how to show respect and honor to leadership. The way I was grew up, I was taught as a child that any adult any adult was my authority. I don't care was a teacher at school, the policeman, the next door neighbor. When an adult spoke and said, don't do that, you stop right there. You don't say, you ain't tell me what to do. But the generation of today that can watch their brothers and maybe even their dads or our moms go throw water on the police or speak disparagingly about the pastor and the church, they hear all this stuff, where are they going to be five years from now? I'll tell you where they're not going to be. They're not going to be in church. They're not going to be respecting the house of God because that was destroyed at the very foundation. But when we show results, show respect, we show honor, we teach it from one generation to the next generation, we teach them to respect. The church should rise up and support godly leaders. Like David, some of them may have trouble with their children. Congregations should recognize the humanity of their pastor and their families. Such issues should not be used as an occasion to the flesh. Godly pastors and their families should be supported and encouraged at all times. Just a simple disclaimer. Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. So I'm not telling you today to unconditionally support the pastor or whoever if they waver from the truth, if they turn back on what got us to this point. I'm not talking about unrestrained Loyalty. I'm talking about, as Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. All of us should have enough knowledge of Scripture and the Word of God to find a leader and to submit to a man of God and to allow him to lead. And when he leads with godliness and with character, with long-suffering and gentleness and kindness and all the attributes that God has designated that man or woman deserves our loyalty and deserve our unselfish servitude to serve and walk with God and serve God with all of our heart. 
I hope something said today uh, is a benefit and a blessing. But God help us to realize that wherever you're at, a new convert or an elder or somewhere in between, there is some place you can fit in. And I, I was thinking about uh, when I pulled in this morning, I don't know who's responsible, but I want to give them my gratitude. Where I park right out here, somebody has cleaned up that island and made it look so nice today. And whoever did it, thank you. Uh, sometimes it's easy to see things that need to be done when what we need to do is when we see something needs to be done and we can do it, fix it ourselves. Don't just be uh, a problem seer, be a problem solver. So I want to say thanks, and I'll probably hear who did it, but I don't know at this point, but thank you, whoever. And when you see something around where you can fix it, where you can be a blessing, where you can be a strength, and you notice the church is clean, it didn't get there by itself. And thanks to Brother Manuel and others that come by here oftentimes and spend hours here at the church. I've often come by during the day uh, to the office and see a truck out here or people working in the church uh, just because they're supporting the kingdom of God. They're supporting the, the cause of God. Brother Flores, who we laid to rest uh, here not just a few months ago, before he really got sick, he would come by here almost on a daily basis, doing things, working for the kingdom of God, doing things that benefited all of us. And he was not in good health, and he was up in years, but he was able to be a blessing. Likewise, all of us can do the same. God bless you. Pastor, come and sing away.